right, hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Kevin Weisman podcast. You guys are in for a treat today because I'm doing this episode with the person who pretty much influenced me to start podcasts in the first place, my older brother, Matt Meiselman. We've been quarantined in this house in Warren, New Jersey together for a very long time, somehow aren't too sick of each other yet, and we're willing to do a podcast. I'm excited to do this. Matt, how you doing today? It's kind of awkward to like ask you how you are because we've been hanging out yeah, all day, like but... A- Commute from my room over to this room, so and we've had plenty of practice living together for many years, so this is not that unusual. But uh, yeah, nice to be joining the podcast, and uh, I don't know, we'll see what all the fuss is about. Yeah, I think with every second that goes by, you'll see the the conversation will get a little bit less formal. I think the whole time, and people are going to get confused about our voices. I think at least initially. Well, but... Matt speaks a little smarter than me, so look <laughs> for the more intelligent words for the most part, and. That's who's talking. Yeah, I guess uh, the benefit of the podcast is, one, you have to listen to me for... you. Know, th- this is forced listening for you to actually have to listen to what I'm going to talk about for an extended period of time. But also, you have to say nice things about me like that. So yeah. that's that's much appreciated. <laughs> uh, but before we get into what uh, the stuff we're going to talk about today, people should know, I mentioned you influenced me to start podcasting. That's what I tell people. Just give people your podcast background. Like you definitely are qualified to be a guest on this show, so tell people what your podcast is and what you are doing with your whole podcasting career. It feels weird to plug my podcast where I've only <laughs> been recording an episode a year for the last couple of years. I did it more frequently uh, a couple of years ago, like 2016, 2017. It's uh, called the Preaching Sense Podcast. Kind of self-explanatory of what it's for, and it's on PreachingSense.com. Um, well, those- I- those episodes aren't very old, so like the the topics apply today. So people listening to this who I know are interested in self help and it's those types of topics, I feel like can still get episodes from a few years ago and like get value in them, right? Yeah, I mean the episodes are kind of all over the place. There was a brief period where I was an aspiring stand up comedian that lasted about <laughs> two weeks. So there's a couple episodes that might not be worth listening to that were sort of around that kind of thing. Um, maybe just you know for amusement about how silly I sounded. But yeah, there's some self-help stuff, some sports-related things. I don't know. The topics were kind of all over the place, but I guess that's, uh, I don't know, similar to you with your multiple podcasts. Yeah. And when it comes to self-help, I think Matt is one of the smartest people you really can't listen to. Uh, He's been a big influence on me and my diet and working out and all that stuff, and it's a big reason why I'm just a happy person every day. So I know some of you are coming here and expecting you know, a life type of conversation. You're definitely going to get that by listening to this. Um, but, but before we get into all that, that'll be the bulk of the episode. Matt works at DraftKings, and I know that will excite a lot of you because you're all sports bettors. A lot of my friends, um, they're just probably bet a little bit too much uh, without the knowledge that uh, you might need to, to win uh, more bets than maybe you're winning right now. I think Matt is a very good person to listen to to when it comes to betting smart. He might not have an exact pick for you for every single game and pander to you like the Stu Finers out there, Um, but he works with DraftKings, and he's certainly a a knowledgeable person when it comes to sports betting. So let me just explain to people what you do. Well, I don't have a lot of picks right now because there's no games to bet on really at all. I haven't made a lot of Korean baseball. Yeah, well, that's starting soon, but there have not been a lot of opportunities lately. There was the NFL draft, which went okay, and... Before that, I mean, the last game that I bet on in professional sports was probably the Jazz game where Rudy Gobert caused the game to get canceled. So not a lot in between. Uh, So there's really not a lot of tangible information right now. But yeah, I started working for DraftKings at the beginning of March. I was there for a week, and then we started having to work from home. So uh, it's a little bit of an unusual situation to have a new job, and then everything changes very, very soon after starting. But you said that people are betting too much, and I think betting too much is relative, where if you're bad at betting, any amount is too much. Less is better if you're bad at it. And if you're good at it, then more is better in some sense, because you want to maximize your abilities if you're good at betting. So I don't know. Did you want me to get into how to bet properly? Because, yeah, we're not going to be going through pro sports schedules and picking out games right now especially no maybe that could be another thing i do on the podcast in the future you know but i I guess i was just i wanted you to explain sort of what you do at DraftKings and why that might interest some of the people i know who are betting right now like what can they go to DraftKings for right now that i know there's a lot of things you're doing with the draft and even if there's not stuff this week or in two weeks just what have you guys been able to like give people during quarantine 
Yeah, I mean, DraftKings has betting on, well, for DFS, the number one thing going on right now is esports, which I know virtually nothing about. But if you have any particular insight on, I think it's Counter-Strike, Global Offensive is one of the games, League of Legends, and Call of Duty. Those are, I think, the big three right now. I'm not sure if we're going to have any others. But if you know stuff about that, you can actually gamble on those things. Um, like right now on the website? Yeah, not you playing it, but professionals at mm-hmm. those games, you can bet on, in, in terms of fantasy lineups, you can bet on the okay. results of those games. And are there people on DraftKings who can like give relevant advice? sort of well as a DraftKings employee it's not really my position to say here's how to beat us but we also have a content section that I help out with where it's kind of user-friendly advice here's you know here's the schedule here's when the games are here's some basic information just like a primer for sports that people Mm -hmm. don't know much about which is especially relevant now because people are betting on things that they've basically never bet on before in their lives and the, the last thing with the betting is lately, I mean, obviously I know this, you're talking about Korean baseball and how that might be the first thing, I guess, real sport with, with human beings that people can bet on. I just think people miss sports and not everyone actually knows that this is going on. I didn't know about it. I probably wouldn't know about it unless you told me. I guess what, what can people look forward to with this Korean baseball league and then also what the hell is going on with when with all their coronavirus protocol it's a pretty weird situation yeah well it's actually it's not the first sport there's soccer in belarus and then there's ping pong globally which i'm not exactly sure where those matches are taking place i'm pretty sure they're in asia but korean baseball is the kbo is the second biggest league after the mlb in the world in terms of proficiency i think japanese league might be close or it might be slightly better but it's at least up there but they, the league may not actually last for that long because if players start testing positive, and they will be very strict with the testing, if players test positive for coronavirus, then the league could be shut down temporarily or for the remainder of the season. So it's kind of a tentative thing if the league will continue. But there are some former MLB players in the KBO, and the league starts Tuesday. The first game is at like 1 in the morning because they're playing in a way different time zone. And... As of now, this is on Sunday, two days before, so May 3rd, we're recording this. I think ESPN is still working on getting the TV rights. I don't actually know if that's been confirmed yet, but I know that it's public information that they're trying to. So the games may be televised. So if you, I guess part of the reason people gamble is that they want to bet and be able to root for the thing and actually watch it. That may be possible by Tuesday. Well, you guys have that to look forward to if you're gamblers who don't know how to gamble in this coronavirus age. So I'm glad we got that out of the way to enlighten some of you because I just get texts a lot of people who are just complaining they have nothing to bet about and it's boring. The draft was like the most exciting event possible. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get into betting strategy a little bit in a broader sense, I'm happy to do it because I think people badly need that and... I guess it's even if you're not someone who gambles, it's semi-interesting. I'm not sure, but so we do a start... quick quick summary of that before we get into the self-help stuff. Sure. So because I know I know there are some gambling addicts on here for sure listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> so there's two basic rules of thumb that even if you're not using a predictive model and you don't have all these analytics and you don't have a ton of complicated factors to decide what to bet on, there's basically two rules of thumb, and one is that there's no such thing as a bad bet. There's just a bad number. So any bet can be a good bet at the right odds. If the Yankees are playing the Marlins and the Marlins are a 50-1 to underdog, the Marlins are pretty clearly a good bet. They beat the Yankees more than once every 50 times. But if the game is even money, the Yankees will probably win even if you make the worst possible pitching matchup between those two teams for the Yankees. The Yankees are likely going to win more often than not. So if you can lay a $10 bet and if you win, you profit $10, the Yankees are worth betting on in that scenario. So it it's entirely dependent on what the odds are. And that may sound obvious to people who bet a lot, but I think it's also not so obvious to people who bet a lot that they kind of try to bet based on what they think will happen, not based on the probability of what will happen. So people just aren't doing quite enough research and just kind of betting with this, I guess, maybe blind logic they might think they have. But it's more a mindset that games are not predetermined in a definitive sense where you can know this team will certainly win or this team will certainly lose. But betters sort of get that Mm -hmm. confused sometimes. It's, you have to at least 
come at it from the mindset of this thing is X percentage likely to happen. And even if you may be wrong that it's 60%, 70%, 80%, just thinking in those terms will give you a better shot. Um, and that's especially true with parlays where people basically will just go for a big win if they're parlaying a lot of things together. And you still have to do that same process, that same way of thinking with a parlay where if something is a 20 to one payout or a 50 to one payout, will it happen one in 20 times or will it happen one in 50 times? And if your honest answer to the question is yes, I mean, by all means, I'm not, you know, I'm not a perfect sports better. I don't know everything and I'm not an expert in every single sport. Some people may have some sort of take on something that's better than anything I can come up with, but at least thinking in the terms of probability is, is necessary, I think. And for people who don't do that and I guess this wouldn't really apply much to the occasional better who might just bet on the Super Bowl, but someone who bets at least pretty often, do you think that just, I mean, what if they just are betting for entertainment and obviously like that's just their their fault, but you're pretty much saying if you want to bet smart, this is how you have to do it. Otherwise, you're yeah. not being too smart. Well, right. If you're betting for entertainment, then don't do any research at all. Why waste your time? <laughs> because if it's just for entertainment, look at the schedule of games that are on TV, on national TV, flip a coin, pick one of the teams, pick your favorite team, whatever. If it's purely for entertainment, don't delude yourself into thinking you actually have an edge over the sports book. But right. if you actually want to try to win over a longer term, then you actually have to think in this way. So I think people get it sort of confused where they're betting for fun, but they're also thinking they have an edge and it doesn't, it's, it's not both. It really is one or the other. Right. Like it frustrates me if a kid does an 18 parlay on a fake website book and then he says, oh, I think it's going to win. Like I'll get, I'll get texts at school. A lot of people, because I like sports analytics, even though I'm not necessarily someone who could like give betting picks and I don't really bet at school anymore. They, they ask me for picks and say like, what do you think of this six, seven team parlay? And I said, you're probably not going to win. What do you want me to say? Go for it. Good luck. Right. Well, the other thing about parlays is that the casinos stop paying fair odds at a certain point. So with a two-team parlay, you well, essentially what a parlay is, is you're betting on one team to win, and then you're automatically taking the winnings and betting it on the other game. And with a three-team parlay, it's... You're, That's how the math works in the odds. You mean? Yeah, so okay. it's calculated based on what would happen if you were to take all the winnings from game one and then take all of that money and bet it on game two and then take all of that money and bet it on game three. The problem is that once you get above about a four or five team, maybe six, it depends on the sports book. It depends on what you're dealing with. But the odds start getting less and less fair where if you have a six-team parlay and the actual payout should be... 40 to 1 you may only be getting 25 to 1 because the casino knows that people who bet 16 parlays are not that likely to be doing calculations there's just there's not a strong correlation between smart sports bettors and 16 parlay bettors right so if you just want the thrill of 10 bucks to win 250 go for it but you're not doing anything rational with that decision if you want that sort of thrill just bet (laughs) on one really really large underdog like i think that is more likely yeah, that's the better chance of happening for the same payout. So bet on the Knicks to beat the Warriors straight. Well, I guess this is year is a bad example for that. But bet on a bad team to beat a good team. Get your 20-to-1 payout, and that has a better chance than a many-team parlay. Well, when sports return, we have to have another episode for just gambling in a more relevant, I guess, scenario in the world. There's just not much to bet on. But if you were looking for any information about betting today, I feel like Matt was a perfect person to talk about it. Well, one other thing to throw in before we move on from betting is that to the point of there's no such thing as a bad bet or good bet, it's just good and bad odds. People who have access to multiple sports books or online accounts or whatever it is, you should be checking between websites which line is better. So if you're betting on the Mets and they're plus 120, and you have a, you have money in another account. Check they may be plus one twenty five or plus one thirty at the other account, so you can you can sort of help out your overall bottom line by checking for better odds. And I think people miss that point a lot. And I know for a lot of your listeners with the college aged kids, they basically are betting with a bookie. They have one guy, so this is kind of irrelevant for them. But later on, I mean, especially if you live in New Jersey. You have access to all these different sports books, so it's it's called line shopping, and it, it helps. I mean, it's it's a core part of doing this entire thing. Well, you guys are definitely a lot smarter with sports betting, as am I, because I don't I don't I don't really keep in all the information you can tell me with all the sports betting stuff that I live in this house with house with, 
it's hard to process all of it at once sometimes because I just I don't know it doesn't stick right away kind of need a lot of conversations well now it's recorded for forever <laughs> so you can go back and listen to this as many times as you want yeah I, I just I have a bunch of people in mind who I know text me who are just probably gonna be very happy with that conversation and will feel a little bit more maybe relieved that there's some smarter way to go with their gambling I hope so yeah but let's move on to self-help. That's the conversation I mentioned we would talk about for the most part. And self-help, that's a very broad term that can mean a lot of things. I guess the context, and I'm sure Matt will have some of his own things that I don't know that he wants to talk about yet. But the context that I kind of think of that is, you know, mental health, obviously, but also just trying to better yourself every day, physically, mentally, um, eating well, working out, expanding your mind, whether it's meditation, just trying to become a better person in the way you kind of perceive everything more being more thoughtful right caring i think those are all things you think of when you hear self-help and ultimately this is all just to make people happier matt has definitely been one of the people in my life who has influenced me to start eating well part of the reason i'm doing podcasts is because i got to a mindset where i can kind of just do things without overthinking and worrying about what the consequences will be and if people might listen like I just kind of start doing things, and I think when you're happy and you're you're mindful, like your life, it's a lot easier to do that. So I kind of want to just let Matt talk to you guys the whole episode, really, about all his self help things, because pretty much everything I believe is an extension of kind of how I've been influenced by you, and obviously some, I guess, authors or podcasters that we might listen to also. Well, it's funny that you should use the term mindful because I've basically been on a mission with my friends to almost force them to start, and with you too, to force them to at least experiment with meditating, which is a sort of recent thing in my life. I've known about it for a long time, but I've only really done it on a daily basis, I don't know, the last couple of months. Um, and mindfulness meditation being the particular kind that I think is the most useful for people. But I kind of want to talk about, I guess you'll have to indulge me a little. I want to talk about self-help in the context of free will. And I don't know, I mean, anyone who's listening who's familiar with Sam Harris will will know this, or at least know of this. But I'm not quite sure a lot of people will know Sam Harris. So yes. just explain who he is first. Sam Harris is a neuroscientist, and he's most famous for actually talking about, he's most famous for his atheism, essentially, um, and why religion is problematic. But the reason that I appreciate him actually doesn't have much to do with that. It has a lot to do with his mindfulness and self-help. And he has a he has a meditation app called the Waking Up app, which is what I've been using for guided meditation. But the free will argument is he wrote a book called Free Will, and it comes from him directly. But I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about the concept recently, and I sort of feel like I can expand on it in some way um i don't know i don't know kevin how familiar are how familiar are you with the idea of free will and whether you think you have it i guess i'll i'll let you oh, be the judge i'll well, let you be the judge of if you think you have it and if you don't feel like doing that i can just sort of you know start explaining I, what i think i just think anytime someone has an answer about what free will is there's always a valid contradictory argument to be made for it so i don't want to go all day on that I mean, I just think free will is your ability to make your own decisions, and sometimes people think maybe their circumstances strip them of those decisions, but honestly, when it comes down to it, you can just go do things, you can just take action, no matter how difficult that might seem. There's certainly so many other ways to define it, though. Yeah, so that definition <laughs> of free will, I think, is just a fraction of what people mean when they say they have free will. I don't think that... I don't look at it as an, in a metaphysical way. I don't really look well, at it that way. So the free will that people think they have is that they can determine what they want to do. So if you know what you want to do, you are free to do it. But in a broader sense, you're, you, there's no evidence for any freedom to actually be motivated in a certain way. So if you take it all the way back, um, as Sam Harris would say, you didn't choose your parents, you didn't choose your genes, you didn't choose any of your circumstances at an early age... And there are a lot of circumstances in your life currently that you have no control over. And whatever you're choosing to do now is a product of all of that stuff. So in terms of what you can choose, at the very least, there's influence of your history over what you're choosing. Definitely. Yeah, I could agree with that. But in sort of the metaphysical way, even right now, as an adult, there's no... 
there's no basis for thinking that you can choose what you think or what you want or what you desire. It sort of feels like you can choose what to do, but the root of action is belief and thought and wants and everything like that. And meditation sort of opens the door to see that, but you can't really explain why ideas are in your head. You know, where do ideas come from? And when you sit there and you try to look at your ideas as they appear to you, it really is as though they're appearing to you. I mean, anyone listening to this surely has had the experience where an idea popped in their head. And I sort of think that that's, ha that's what's happening all the time. It's just we, we, we attribute it to other things, but really every idea that you've ever had, it merely popped into your head. Mm -hmm. So explain that into the way like kind of you, you take that and use it in your own life or how you think that can be applied to you know self-help. Yeah, so I should say before explaining the relevance, if anyone wants mm -hmm. to know more about this, the, the book Free Will by Sam Harris is mm -hmm. probably the way to go. And then he explains the concept itself on, on his meditation app. And there are tons of other philosophers that talk about this, but I think he is the best person to go to for mm -hmm. it. And you don't have to take him at his word. You don't have to take me at my word. This is the sort of thing where you can be introspective and actually feel it for yourself that, oh yeah, the free will that I thought I have is not actually what I have. But the implications of it are what's relevant. And I sort of want to make a, a sports analogy with it or use sports as an example because I think for you it'll be more relevant and I think for a lot of people listening mm -hmm. it'll be more relevant. Um, I guess to give the hypothetical, I'm sure this has happened to you many times, where you're playing basketball, let's say, and there's a fast break and you're dribbling the ball and you see that a teammate is wide open in the corner and you have another teammate that's sort of open on the wing and you end up making the wrong pass. You pass it to the teammate who's more covered on the wing. And as you're passing it, you're sort of feeling like, why did, why did I do that? I knew I should have passed it to the other spot. And it's like, it's as if you had no control. Like you can't really explain why you didn't make the right play. And I sort of think that's what's happening all the time except that when you make the right play, it's much easier to explain it. And it's just sort of this bias that sometimes it's easier to explain things. And it's not, it doesn't mean that you can actually be right about why you made the choice. It just sort of occurred to you to make this pass. Or in another example, it occurred to you to dive on the ground for the loose ball, where maybe another game in a similar situation, you just didn't think to dive on the ground. And you're in no position to know why you made the choice one time and didn't make it the other time. So make that analogy to like a life example that someone might can maybe relate outside to of also. basketball. Yeah. Well, let's say that you are studying for a test and you've been studying for it for a few hours or make it, I guess more real as you've been studying for five minutes and you sort of get this pang of hunger and you need to get up from studying and go grab a snack. You chose to get up and get the snack, but the the need to get it or the thought that you were hungry, that just occurred, like almost miraculously out of the blue. And you can then, as the person sitting there, decide, do I want to let this thought be my decision? You know, I'll go get the snack. Or I realize this is a thought and, you know, I'll just let it pass and I'll get a snack later. It's sort of like these sorts of things as you sit still, you're being bombarded with ideas all the time and they're just appearing out of nowhere. That, so, so meditation makes it easier to recognize those thoughts when they're coming and then properly sort them out and then act on what's what matters or what's the right decision. Well, the, the act of meditation, what it first does is it allows you to understand that any of this is even happening at all. Because I think to a lot of people, this is new information to them that they don't. Yeah, we're very never... introspective people. I've been thinking like in, internally forever, like on a very, you know, intense level. Right. So even if you haven't come up with this exact idea before, it sort of clicks to you because you've you've looked into mm -hmm. your own mind at yeah. times. And I think for a lot of people, they right. just... Right, it's easy to forget. Some people might not even have looked into themselves once before. Right, like, has everyone had the the thought to themselves, what is a thought, you know? <laughs> I, I would imagine there's been, uh, you know, someone who might have just graduated college would have had that conversation once with themselves. But, you know, you never know. So just... Just not that frequently, anyway, yeah. where you, you maybe forget what mm -hmm. it, how weird it is that ideas and thoughts and desires and, I guess, wants to do things... All of that just shows up in your consciousness all the time and 
if you're not being introspective, if you're not meditating, you may just go years without even realizing that this process is taking place. So what ways do, does being more mindful and, you know, meditating like this more often, does that help you? Like what, like what now, like explain sort of, okay, okay, now I understand it for a person. Okay, now like really what am I going to get from it? Yeah. So what, in, what tangible things will I see, you know, and then how long maybe? I'm sure it's a, it's a long process, obviously. So no one's going to look at it and say, I meditate tomorrow, I'm going to have all these great benefits. But, you know, if you do it for a week or two or a month, just like what kind of happens? Well, there are scientific benefits to meditating in terms of brain health and calmness and all that stuff. But that's not really what I'm talking about. Those things are nice also in the same way as Sam Harris has said. If you read a book, you're not reading the book to make you calmer and to reduce anxiety and reduce stress. You're reading it because you're reading the book. And those Unless things you are, are like intentionally going in for that. Sure. You I'm just s- mean generally speaking. Generally speaking, you're not yeah. reading a book to calm yourself. You're reading a book because you want to read it for whatever reason. But the, the point is that understanding the process by which you make decisions allows for you to make better decisions. So just knowing how it works makes it so that you can decide in a better way. So the example that really hit me, and I guess it's it's especially relevant during the quarantine, is that people are stuck at home and some people will gorge themselves on food and not work out and you know, be in a lot worse physical health. And I didn't want that to happen. So in order to exercise more effectively, I basically decided, I, again, I have no idea why I decided this. It just occurred to me based on who knows? I really can't say. But so the idea of watching motivational videos before exercising, it it basically forces me to do the exercise. Or let's say I'm on the fence and maybe I don't want to work out today. Then I'll just go on YouTube and watch like The Rock or Rogan or Jocko Willink or whoever. I'll just go on YouTube and I'll watch them and I sort of like it forces me to make the better decision if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, that's definitely a very good motivational tool that, you know, works for me at times, like more so for basketball. When I was playing basketball in high school, I would like to watch basketball highlights, particularly mm-hmm. of white shooters that I could kind of mirror <laughs> my game to make it relatable, watch the way they move off the ball. It's a different way to watch basketball highlights maybe than the common player, but so no, I've had the I same experience. It's not, yeah. you know, Steve Novak or Jason Capono <laughs> like you would watch, but I would watch no, yeah, Chris Steve Novak Paul throw like full court over the head bounce passes or something. That was a particular thing that I was trying to do in basketball <laughs> for some reason. And I would watch Chris Paul make yeah. passes. And then while I was playing, I would find myself replicating him. Yeah. So. Well, no, it's, and even it just motivates me to want to practice too. So I, I that works. My point is off what you said. So I guess what other ways could people maybe figure out how to motivate themselves and, you know, start like videos help if you send someone clips to maybe start, they'll, but not everyone's going to right away start thinking, okay, this video is cool. I'm going to do push ups now. So, like, how do you get someone to start? Because I believe it's just habits. So, if I yeah. run for two or three days, I think it really is sucking up the first two or three uncomfortable experiences you're having, and then you become addicted to doing whatever that, like, habits just lead to habits, good and bad. So, Maybe that's part of it. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily... I mean, that's true, but it doesn't have to be something that sucks, like the beginning of a workout routine where the first few times you really need motivation and you have to watch a video and you're trying to force yourself to do something. What what I guess it is in a more generalized sense is understanding the mechanism of your brain and then in order to get yourself to act a certain way, you sort of create an intermediary step. So a stepping stone to the activity... So whatever it is you want to do, you can sort of come up with something, okay, this thing that's not quite the goal is easier than the goal. It's sort of step one of a 10-step process. So getting yourself to work out, you know, it might be doing a couple stretching exercises in your room, and that sort of builds you into the mindset of doing the thing. So you're sort of gradually putting yourself in place sort of giving yourself a layer to be able to get closer to do the thing that you know that you should be doing. And I guess that is made easier by the knowledge that you don't have the freedom to decide to do things. You know, if you're on a diet and you know that you shouldn't be eating the junk food and then you just sort of find yourself one day eating junk food, it's like, how did we get here? 
And if you, t it, I think this is the easiest example, you take the intermediary step of throwing out all the junk food in your pantry closet. Now it's not there anymore. Now you're closer to the goal because you took out the thing that would get in your way. So the knowledge that you don't have as much control over what you want to do as you think you do, it just helps to make decisions. That's basically the point that I'm making. It, 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 and it works for whatever your habits are too. It's just so interesting because if there's a person who, you know, they'll eat junk food and just say, oh, I'm just so used to it. How, how could I not eat Oreos? What, I've done this my whole life. They're in that just like it's just what they've done and they're addicted first of all and then just not willing to change their habits. But it also works for people who are extremely healthy. You'll hear them say, why the hell would I eat that cookie? So it's just whatever you decide to start doing for a little while. I really think that's how life works where we adapt to whatever our situation is. And if we just – now I've been working out the last month you know, more than usual and it's really weird to think like two months ago it was a little bit harder to get up. Now I'm just like I have to work out. So, you know, you go up and down. You might eat really healthy and feel like, oh, why would I ever eat like crap again? But then if you change your habits enough, it's just the reverse. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> I don't want this to be sort of preaching to do things that make your life yeah, better no. while that's good. But it could literally be any goal. So just take the opposite example. Maybe your goal in life is to win an Oreo eating contest. And you, you can't bring yourself to start eating Oreos because you just have never liked them before or whatever reason. And you need to take the first step of buying a box of Oreos. I know this sounds very strange given what no, we but just it just talked. works both ways. Yeah, it works both ways. If you really want to get good at eating Oreos, buy some Oreos. Okay, you've now completed that. Now the Oreos are in your house, so you'll probably start practicing eating them and then make a habit out of eating three Oreos at a time. And who knows, maybe one day you'll be this big fat guy who can eat more Oreos than anyone else on the planet. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be in the self-help context. Although I guess some people would argue that that's a good thing to strive for is to win an eating contest. And I, I, I guess I can't really dispute that for, I don't know, any other reason than it's bad for your stomach, but it's, it's just with anything. If you want to get closer to doing something and you realize that you are not in as much control as you thought you were, then you can create these stepping stones to get closer to the thing. And that's, it applies to, I think it applies to literally everything. No, I definitely agree with you. And I think about it because, you know, I obviously used to be like a twig, really, really skinny. Wouldn't say I'm humongous now, but I'm I, not a stick anymore. Like I've, I've put in enough effort to gain muscle through You've body gained weight. some weight. I'll give you credit for that. Thank you. Some body weight workouts. Like I'm definitely not the stick I used to be. So, but clearly I had to do push-ups. It wasn't from eating. Like I've gained muscle. I don't eat unhealthy foods yeah. and I really really like my diet the last year has been like the best it's ever been in my life with small cheating moments but for the most part most days i really don't have anything bad which you know of course now that i'm living at home and there's no we can't even go get food, bad, bad food's food. not allowed here yeah it's definitely not allowed here um my point was though it's just interesting to think that you know i was you talk about how you need to just get a little bit closer to the goal I wouldn't maybe start the first 10, 20 push-ups because I wouldn't get the results I wanted. But who the hell's getting results from 20 push-ups one day? Yeah. I think it's once you start just saying, okay, I'm never going to get – once you accept that you're never going to get you know, bigger results that you want, and this is from anything. I'm just using the, the muscle context now. If you, you, you can't look at it as one day will get me there, you have to say, okay, if I need to do this for two or three weeks, then I'm going to see improvement, and then it's just going to be this habit I'm really used to. But I think people give up too early too. That was kind of my point. And the next thing I want to like talk about is, you know, someone might do a really, really good workout, do all the push-ups. The next day, they're like, what the hell was the point of that? Yeah, I mean, thinking about it in terms of habit formation is definitely, I mean, it seems right to me where you, I, I, I won't pretend to know the science behind how the brain develops habits and what sort of neurological connections are happening when you pick up a new habit and how the brain physically changes when you become better at something when you become more affluent let's say you're learning a new language and you know it's really hard at first and then all of a sudden you can sort of you can you can make full sentences you can connect the words or if you're learning i don't know maybe you're a really bad free throw shooter i guess that's not your situation or mine but bad dribbler but bad at whatever skill yeah and then it you know you're you're practicing and at some point you're it's you're starting to get the hang of it and i don't know what's actually happening in the brain that changes but something something it's is just changing. motor skills it's like when you drive and now you don't think about putting your blinker on you had to think about sure. it in the beginning yeah but there's there's sort of a behavioral habitual thing 
in addition where you just you're becoming more comfortable with something and yeah that's comfort is the definitely the word yeah I, that that's that's the if you don't have that that's why people don't do things they don't want to be uncomfortable that's literally the i guess the in a, in a way the cause of all like the the suffering when it comes to i guess the suffering that might come from bad decision making it's like you're just uncomfortable trying new things you know, i was uh, obviously you know, I'm not. Gonna, we're not going to sit here and say we're perfect at this because I don't think anyone really is. No. But maybe, maybe a few really amazing people out there. But it's just like we're not claiming to think that you know anyone's any better. It's just you know because I have a long way to go with certain habits. I'm definitely not perfect in any way. But to say that I haven't improved and you know become better—that's kind of the point of this episode—is the whole self-help concept. It's just about getting a little bit better. And you know, I, I didn't improve my working out until I improve my diet first. So it's just kind of once you start, yeah. you know, trying to help yourself, it's more likely to, you know, contribute to that like same cause. Yeah. It, it, it's hard to go on a five mile run and then ruin it with a sandwich. You know, I feel like once you start. Yeah. You build up momentum. I know that's yeah, the buzzword exactly. that no one wants to hear, but yeah, or at least they don't expect me to say, but yeah, <laughs> you build up some, some version of momentum that's relevant. Yeah. There's also, um, there's a big component here for, for, for helping other people or if it's for yourself, surrounding yourself with people who will push you in the directions of something. So if you have something that is uncomfortable to do, having a friend or telling a friend that you want to do the thing and they sort of make it less uncomfortable for you or just, I don't know, ex accepting that other people have influence over what your mind is and that you have influence over other people's minds. There's a big component of that where if you realize that you don't have as much agency over your thoughts as you previously did, then it becomes more important what other people are saying and it becomes more important what you fill your mind with. So choosing what podcast to listen to, I mean, I know this is relevant for you, Kevin, but choosing to listen to something intellectual versus playing a game of 2K, like that could have profound effects on your mm -hmm. brain state for the next few days. And choosing to call a friend who may tell you something that you don't want to hear but is mm -hmm. beneficial could be a lot better for you than calling another friend who will just tell you everything you want to hear, but it's not helpful at all and they're kind of lying to you and they're just trying to make you feel good. So it's not that you need to get rid of certain friends and you know acquire new friends. and That's not really what I'm saying, but it's just being mindful of the fact that other people have control over your mind and you have control over the minds of other people. Well, you definitely do, and I think I think to when you said you you know, who you live with and who you surround yourself with, the people I live with at school and then also living with you here, like I've been very grateful to live with people that are very good influences on me just because they're kind of um, in similar boats with the whole self-help thing. It, it's like they're, they get up early to go for runs. You know, I don't do that every day. I'll sleep till 2 p.m. sometimes. But there were mornings I'd wake up at 6.30 or 7 and run when I felt like I had the energy to do so. So I just think I, I lived with people who support that because a lot of people might say like they they might even and it might come from some level of you know jealousy that they don't have the like the willpower or they don't think they have the willpower like yeah. you mentioned to go do the same thing so they might kind of like criticize you for you know might say what are you doing that's stupid why don't you just sleep and kind of discourage you like I've seen that like uh, you know if someone's working on a project you know making music beats and you live with someone who's not really like going to support you in that it's terrible for you to live with that energy so that's why i think it's a huge deal like you mentioned to surround yourself with the right people so that's a huge part of self-help too yeah and it's also it's an important reason why you should care about knowledge and you should care about speaking well and you should care about being able to make good arguments because like you said if you're trying to convince somebody to do something and you just yell it at them and you don't you don't say it clearly and you're sort of just angry at them you may push them in the opposite direction. So if you realize, oh, wow, I actually have a pretty profound impact over the actions and behavior of other people, it causes you to care more about actually making the right argument and being more precise with what you say and using the proper language and making a convincing and compelling argument. So if you're trying to get someone you know who is making the wrong decisions, maybe they're not working out, maybe they're eating too much fatty food, maybe they're doing drugs, maybe they're just not studying for school, maybe they have a job and it's just too easy for them and they should, you know, really push themselves to try something better. If you can if you can convey it to them that you want you think that they should change in a way that they understand and can agree with, 
that is so much better than just telling them. And if they don't, if they don't agree with you, you're just saying, oh, it's their problem. You know, it's their fault. I couldn't convince them and it's their, it's their problem. I didn't do anything wrong. If you sort of take that on yourself and you understand that other people are pretty malleable and they can be changed if they get the right ideas in their head, it, it puts the onus on you to actually try to speak better to the people you know. I also think people know if they're, you know, being, uh, I guess, come at, like, with certain ideas, like, with compassion or not. And that's, I think, like you mentioned, people will not respond well to not that. Like, it's, it's, it can be very frustrating to hear it in the wrong tone or the wrong way, and it might really push someone to, you know, maybe even do those behaviors way more. So I think people hear us in a way that it comes from that sort of genuine place too. Like you being the way you are is why I can, you know, do a show like this and try to help people do the same thing. So it's just like kind of works like you, you, what, what you're saying is kind of being proven just by us doing this. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, it, I guess it's that's interesting. True. Yeah, I, I guess um, it also, it, it depends on the person you're speaking to also, because I'm sure there are days where if I went in your room and said, get out of bed, you lazy shit, we're going to go for a run you may get really inspired by that and, you know, that might work. The Other aggressive... days I might throw something at you. Right. <laughs> well, you might throw something at me and then just do it. Like yeah. you almost, you, you kind of have to know or at least consider if the person that you're dealing with is going to respond positively to that sort of thing. Well, I, and some I, people like aggressive motivation I, and some people need the other kind. I told you yesterday when we were working or two days ago when we were working out that I was telling one of my friends that when I want to like hit you for frustrating me to like go do something that means you're doing the right thing. Well, it's good that so, you know that. <laughs> no, I do know it. So recognizing, you know, that feeling, it, it goes a long way because imagine I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Then I could just be a bitter person and say, oh, Matt's so annoying. If I didn't have that extra level of yeah. understanding, which it's a really easy thing for me to do. I, I mean, if you're a thoughtful person, you'll know that I know you're my brother. You're not being like an asshole to, you know, make well, me feel I like might, shit. For I not, might be sometimes. I mean, no, 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 no. But your intentions aren't to like, you know, make me feel like a bad person in the long run. It might make me feel terrible for 10 minutes if I, and then if I go do it. But I, I just mean it's coming from a good place. So that's very important. Hopefully, hopefully it's coming from a good place. No, I mean, no the, you know it is too. I, mean, you, well, you, I, try, I try to have it coming from a good place. But there, there are definitely times where... I'm telling something to a friend or to you or to whoever where I've just sort of reacted. You know, they, they ask me something. Well, it doesn't and, mean you're – just because you have like a, a, a mindful, you know, thought process a lot of the time doesn't mean you're perfect. I don't think anyone could expect someone not. to, you know, act under 100%, you know, perfect mental like clarity all the time. So that's not like a bad thing. Yeah, I guess <laughs> – no, that's true. I'm certainly not perfect, not even close. But – that's part of the reason that I care about all this self-improvement stuff is because I know there's so much better that I could be than I currently am. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, for everyone, it's sort of a, an idea from Jocko Willink actually about putting it on yourself. If you can't be, if you can't get what you want out of other people, maybe you're doing something wrong and it doesn't mean that you necessarily were doing something wrong or that it's all your fault. Maybe it's only 10% your fault. You know, if I make a really good argument to somebody about something and they just don't get it, they don't understand the concept, they just, I've said it as well as I could possibly say it, I've done the research and whatever the topic is and they just do not understand. Maybe it's mostly their fault, but there's 10% of it that might be my fault and I could explain it a little bit better. And to think in those terms, it it's just really helpful. It's just, it's more realistic because you can only control what you can control. You can't, and even to the extent that you can control yourself, which is not complete. So there's a very limited spectrum of what you actually can impact with your own will and your own force and your own control. And to just kind of focus more on those things rather than things that are out of your control, it's just it's just more useful and productive. Well, that's like the Joe Rogan's, um, I forget what he calls the rule. I don't know if it's, it's, he has this, you know, this measurement he made, whether it's thoughts or percentage it's obviously a little bit arbitrary there's no it's not like a formula but he says there's only so many thoughts he'll allow that are negative so like he'll almost count up how many you know thoughts that popped up in his head throughout the day and if they were negative it, you know it maybe you know being uh, a person who meditates makes this easier to mm -hmm. like have the self you know control to do it but he'll just immediately make it a, a good thought like after yeah. at a certain point he's like i just won't waste my time 
you know, worrying about this argument or, you know, it, it's things like that. Obviously, he's not talking if you have, you know, you have a loved one dying. But these are just ge- general daily stresses. Right. Sometimes it's correct to feel terrible yeah. about something. Sometimes you're supposed to. You'd be a sociopath if you were excited about something awful happening to someone you care about. So, yeah, I mean, I get that. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I'm familiar with that particular Joe Rogan Yeah, he just says that, it. It's like the, uh, at this point, I'm, like, he will only allow for so much stress that isn't necessary. It's and then just, what does he do once it happens? Go in the float tank or something? Exactly. I guess so. Go hunt. We should get a float tank. Yeah. Do you want to talk about meditation specifically before, I guess, we're probably nearing the end? Yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, I, I, actually, I, I knew that there would be more information in this, you know, f- if, it, if it turns out to be an hour than most two-hour podcasts because you're a very efficient speaker. I think people could tell. You just talk more quickly, I guess. Maybe I need to No, you're efficient. <laughs> no, no. It's not a speed thing, obviously. Uh, do yeah, talk about meditation because I think a lot of people, you know, they see it as uh, less people now for sure, just because you know the internet's out there and you're exposed to you know there's so many people meditating, athletes are meditating. It's it's a normal thing to do in comparison to when everyone thought you know it's just hippies who would be on yeah. drugs. It had a really weird stereotype to it that is really just like the farthest from <laughs> what it really like it it is for a lot of people so just to, yeah talk about it yeah so meditation has a, a strong association with religion i guess specifically buddhism but i don't i don't think it's really relevant that there's the association there like i don't i mean i mentioned atheism before that's basically how i view myself so the fact that i'm meditating doesn't mean that i believe in anything supernatural it's just i'm studying my own mind essentially and I mentioned Sam Harris. I think his app is great, but there are tons of meditation apps like Calm or Headspace or whatever it is. And then I also don't think it's necessary that you meditate sitting in a chair in your room. I don't think it's necessary that you meditate sitting in place at all with your eyes closed. You know, people can do their meditation walking or bike riding or whatever it is, hiking. Um, The thing I would say though is that you can meditate while doing other activities. But you have to actually learn the skill sitting down, focusing beforehand. So maybe you do that for a month or so. And then once you know how to do it, then you can go for long walks and reap the benefits. Because when most people try to meditate or when they try to do a meditative type of activity, like a long walk or something, what they're really doing is they're either thinking with their eyes closed or they're planning their day while they're walking or they're thinking about what food they just ate or they're ruminating on some conversation. They're just sort of thinking in this methodical way, but they're still just thinking they're not meditating. And there's a huge difference between those two things. So what types of, yeah. So I guess I could say what types of thoughts are meditation, but I guess this, the way I wanted to ask that question was a a lot of the, the stereotype also, and the perception is you're not supposed to think about other things while you're meditating. And yes, the idea is to clear your head, but you're not supposed to stop just because ideas are coming in. If that's supposed to happen, and I, I know that, you know, I don't meditate nearly enough. Like, it should be a daily thing for me, and it's probably not even a weekly thing. But I've done it enough times, and I've, I've seen, like, later that day effects. And uh, it, it just seems like it's, it's once you recognize, okay, that thought came, and I can just still keep breathing. That's when you're meditating. Yeah. But when you're doing that, you're, you're doing it. So don't think that because there's certain noise in your head, maybe you're not doing it as well as you can, but you're doing it. Yeah, so just to be clear, the type of meditation we're talking about is mindfulness, which is, I guess, the most broadly applicable and probably most common kind. But So there are many other kinds, and I don't have that much experience with them. But in mindfulness, what you're doing is you're paying attention to what already is happening. So if you sit down and you say, all right, I'm going to try to notice every thought that occurs to my in my head, or the real the starting point for a lot of meditation apps and a, med- a lot of meditation philosophies for mindfulness is to focus on your breathing and you sit there and you start to pay attention to your breath and then your mind just starts racing and you say i can't do this my mind won't shut up as you said this doesn't mean that you've failed you don't lose because thoughts are popping into your head you're actually exactly, yeah. doing it right if the thoughts are popping into your head and you can notice that thoughts are there so the way that you're not operating properly is when at the end of the 10 or 20 minutes, the alarm goes off or whoever the guided meditation guru is says, okay, thanks for participating or whatever it is. 
or Sam Harris interjects some comment about the self and you realize, oh crap, I've been lost in thought for minutes and I didn't realize. That's the thing that you want to avoid, but that doesn't mean you have to just quiet your mind. It's not like, um, it's not like you just need to get rid of thinking. You just need to notice that you're thinking. So it's 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 a difficult thing. And in, think differently. Yeah, it's well, thinking differently is sort of a side effect. It's not. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's sort of an abstract thing if you've never tried it before. But basically, you sit there, you close your eyes, you focus on the breath, and you just focus on breathing in and out. And then, as thoughts occur to you, which is going to happen immediately, you say. The first couple of times you'll probably say, oh my God, I didn't know that my mind was running at this level. I knew that I had a, an unquiet brain, but not to this extreme. So it's a, little, it's a little jarring at first. But then what you start to do is you start to try to pinpoint when the thoughts are popping up. And it's not so bad if you go a minute or two or three without realizing that you've been lost in thought. But even if you can just find a few moments over the course of, let's say, the 10-minute session where you catch yourself in a thought... That's the idea. And to be able to catch yourself in the thought is not something that you need to be able to do every second of your life. It's not even really practical to do it. But to have those moments throughout the day, just even if they're very rare, where you catch yourself in a train of thought and you can recognize it as a thought, and especially if it's an unproductive thought, you say, all right, this is just a thought. I don't need to stay angry now. You know, I someone said something, it struck me a certain way. I'm pretty pissed off. Now I'm catching myself being pissed off what do i do next and just that process itself will make you less pissed off because now you're now you're examining it you're not you know rage is a very instinctive impulsive thing and to even notice that you're enraged by definition will make you less angry it's interesting because you know by whole you know the whole mental health journey that i have that everyone who's listened to this show or the mental health show that i have like my whole journey with bipolar disorder, a lot of the issue with that is, and you know, I look back at my <laughs> Matt knows my younger child age. I, I'm one day I'm gonna do a podcast and tell everyone how I actually behaved as a child because I kind of leave it as very ambiguous. I sort of said I had all these issues and temper tantrums, but it is actually like comical. I'll say it, it was loud here for a yeah, long time. It, like the, the, there's the, the it's funny in my house because I'm okay now, but it's it was. <laughs> Uh, but even oh so it's yeah at times it's it, like it's, crap this could have gone differently it and, really could have because of how severe some of the like just how severe the you know the actions were and then also just I, like I, i'm very good at identifying what i was feeling just because i can relate you know feelings i have now i just handle them differently yeah. so it's interesting what you're saying with meditation it almost feels like my whole journey of when I went to boarding school was learning how to do what meditation can do. But meditation is just an efficient way to do it, it is when you have efficient. other things in place. Like you're saying, learn how to recognize thoughts and feelings when they come in and be able to say they're just feelings. You know, that was the whole goal of boarding school for me. I couldn't sit in a classroom in middle school because whatever emotions or thoughts, I think what bipolar disorder is, is they're just overstimulating your brain and it's mm -hmm. very irritating. And then you get agitated and you can't focus on whatever the hell the teacher's saying. And even when you're aware of it, that's when it gets really frustrating because then you feel like shit about yourself. So that, that's kind of like what middle school felt like for me when I was in, you know, unpleasant situations, but everything I did to get better was figuring out, it was all thoughts, you know? Yeah. So, and it doesn't mean that you should never be angry either. It's just you only want to be angry when it's productive to be angry. You know, I guess this is borrowing directly from Sam Harris too, but it's you want the emotion to be there when it's practical and useful to have the emotion and recognizing that you're feeling a certain way and then you can think, okay, it's not actually helpful for me to feel this way anymore. You know, um, my sibling or parent or whatever, someone just said something to me and I just got pissed off and now I'm thinking that I'm pissed off and why would I be pissed off about this? It's not such a big deal. But that, do, but at the same time, you know, if someone is trying to attack you and you're in a dangerous situation, rage is good at that point. Or if you're, you know, working out really hard, rage can be good. So you can sort of channel and play around with your emotions. I think people don't realize the capacity they have to, to manipulate their emotional state. It's not that you shouldn't have feelings, but you should be more in control of your feelings. Right, and that's that's what's so interesting and why I always use my life as an example, but I never really talked about it that way. It's like, 
I've just gotten so much better at like viewing the same thoughts in just a controlled way. Like the same exact like I don't know, the foundation maybe of a way I'm looking at something might be the same. I just don't act right away. Like you're saying and that's all practice and years and years of like like in boarding school you're thrown into situations that are very unpleasant. My biggest problem I could think when I was younger was running away from things that were unpleasant. I gave up on ice skating right away or soccer. Everything was kind of like if I didn't like it right away, I would stop. And I think that's, you know, that's thoughts too. It's like, yeah. well, I, what if I, I always say to myself, ice skating, you know, hockey, that was my biggest regret. Cause what if I just tried a week or two of skating instead yeah. of two days? And it wasn't really mom or dad's fault because I would cry in the car cause I didn't want to do it. It was so, life preservation on yeah. their end to not so, force you to play hockey. And, and for board, boarding school for me, it was like almost being thrown into this thing where I had to figure out how to survive, but I still had some sort of support network where I, you know, like. Yeah. It wasn't like a, a, a military school where mom and dad couldn't visit, obviously. But like, I feel like that whole journey was about figuring out thoughts for me. Because, yeah. you know, I feel like the same type of person. Like, I just feel like my... I mean, this is old news, too. This was about freshman year, sophomore year of college is when I sort of was able to put all that behind me. It's really so far away. But it's just interesting because it's just all thoughts. Like, it's just kind of how I see my day. Nothing really changed. My, like, my external circumstances are pretty similar. Yeah, you, you realize that you actually are just a product of your thoughts. And if you have more control over your thoughts, then you have more control over yourself. I mean, it, yeah. it kind of is oversimplifying it, but it, in some sense, it is that simple. Yeah, I was just relating it to how like that worked with my life. And I think it's it's just crazy because it it's like, that's why I care about mental health and making sure people understand that like... I didn't want to feel those thoughts that I had. They just were what my existence was. Yeah. I was very young. That's why I, it's, I don't know, that's why I just think my life was unique in a way because I was so little and able to like somehow be introspective but also not, you know, mindful enough to <laughs> Yeah, I like, mean, the the stuff <laughs> that I that I'm thinking about in terms of my own self-improvement is so much lower stakes than that. You know, I told you the example a few days ago of now that I've been meditating and it's only been, I don't know, 50 60 something days I have this experience where I wake up in the morning and I've had a dream and in other times in my life I would be sort of emotionally tied to the dream even if I wasn't consciously thinking about what the activities of the dream were but you sort of have that emotional signature of the dream and there's sort of this thing that happens more often now and much sooner in the morning where it kind of clicks that okay I'm now feeling anxious because of a thing that happened while I was sleeping that was totally subconscious and not real. I've now just become aware of the fact that none of this affects my life at all, and now I'm going to move on. And it may take a few extra minutes to actually move on, but in prior circumstances, like that could affect a person for, a, for an hour, for hours, for, for days even, if they had a convincing enough nightmare, let's say, while they were asleep and it just it makes you a worse person for it could be for a significant amount of time and it affects by your worse life, you so. mean just like unproductive and yeah you know, not in the moment type person or just you know you're having a you're interaction irritable. with a friend and yeah you're ir irritable and you snap at them you know they've mm -hmm. said something that you didn't like and you just kind of freak out at them and it's all because of some subconscious thing that you just are not aware of and it's sort of similar to the habit formation i think in a lot of ways, it just is habit formation where you're practicing catching yourself being in an unproductive state of mind. And I won't pretend to know what that's like for someone dealing with bipolar disorder, but it does seem like in a lot of ways there's a similarity where bipolar disorder is just another set of states of consciousness. And it's just as useful, if not more useful, when you have that going on to understand what's happening. Well, yeah, that's like meditation. I think the more you know severe your or I guess the more crowded your brain might be and, you know, clogged it might be from, you know, thinking clearly, that's probably, you're a person who might need it more, obviously, than, you know, the average person who might already be so healthy and mentally clear by being like an athlete or, you know, it's just, yeah. I guess the if you're very anxious and very depressed, it's probably more urgent you, you do it. Yeah, I, I do want to be careful, though, because someone who's very anxious or very depressed or may, maybe has a very severe case of bipolar disorder or This isn't other, a cure. No, but it also, it can reinforce the negative feelings too if you, and this is, I think, particular for, particularly for people who have a 
specific mental impairment, like maybe someone who has a more severe case of bipolar than you did. Um, like really hospitalized a lot. Yeah, yeah. so under, re- catching yourself being really anxious and upset and all of that, you may say, this is terrible. I can't stop thinking this way. You know, if you can't actually fix it, it could be worse. It may make you worse off. So I don't want to pretend that people with clinical conditions can just use this and be fine and it's a cure for all clinical conditions. It's a good sidebar. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, this is... Meditation is useful, and I actually, this is something I heard Sam Harris say today, I was listening to him, that it's it's the same as exercise where it's, you know, doing push-ups and pull-ups is really good for most people, but there's a subset of people who have some kind of injury or some kind of, they could be a deformity or, you know, they got hurt when they were a kid, and maybe pull-ups are not a good thing for them to be doing. Either they need to do them differently, or they need to get their shoulder worked on first, or they just need to do a different exercise because that exercise doesn't work. I think meditation and a lot of self-help help stuff can be similar where it's really, really good for most people, but some people may react if they have a condition, they may re- react in a negative way. So, yeah, so, obviously, know yourself when it comes to this. Yeah, but <laughs> I do imagine most listeners are the kind of people who may suffer from you know the regular amounts of anxiety, the regular amounts of lack of motivation. I just think anyone and who it's good lives, for them. I think anyone who lives is gonna you know, like that's the thing too is a lot of people. You know, I just imagine someone who has very low levels, re- relatively low levels of stress and anxiety compared to someone with, you know, like a clinical depression yeah. uh, diagnosis or like a severe anxiety disorder. But those people might not realize that, like, it is a mental health issue if your stress is sort of leading to arguments in the yeah. house. A lot of people might not view that as related to mental health. They'll just look at their circumstances and say, well, if those circumstances aren't like how I want them to be, then I have a right to be angry. Yeah. So when you view it as this right to be stressed out, like I'll use the example, dad, with the certain, eating certain foods, it's more, <laughs> maybe that's like not the right example I'm thinking of. I'm curious about this example now though. No, but I'm just trying to think of maybe, like, you know, your pe- people based off their perspective, they might not realize that it's coming from a place of stress or anxiety that, you know, you're living in a house and things have to be this certain way. And I don't know, maybe if that gets disrupted, they're all really stressed out, but yeah. they don't, they don't look at that as an issue. They look at it as a product of what everyone else was doing. But that's like what you were saying before, maybe changing your own behavior and adjusting to whatever's yeah. going on. So like the coronavirus situation, we're all stuck here. Took a, dad a little while to figure out he can't go play golf and see his friends. Yeah. And I should say, <laughs> we are he, very... He blames for- the circumstances, but it's a little bit of both. You have to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, we are very fortunate that, you know, we're sitting in a separate room of the house where we can record a <laughs> podcast and be uninterrupted yeah. for the most part. I mean, there are dogs We've been lucky. We, our parents aren't in medical fields. Like, we've been pretty much as isolated as we want to be. Yeah, so having <laughs> some perspective on that is good because yeah. it, being upset about this, I mean, the world circumstances definitely suck right now, but... Being individually upset and feeling like it's someone's fault, it's just not that helpful. But yeah, been very good with the perspective, the two of us. Yeah, we've been we've we've enjoyed playing basketball outside, working out. I I just feel like we we haven't complained too much. Recording podcast, podcast, staying active. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But to, to your other point, like if mom goes food shopping and forgets to buy a certain item, you know, I could I could theoretically spend the rest of the of the day blaming her. Because now I'm stressed out because I really wanted to eat a blueberry or something and now it's not here and this is her fault and everything's terrible. And I, or I could say, okay, this is just an idiotic thing to be stressed out about. I'll just eat something else or I'll just That's not, where not, I've gotten a lot better in yeah. my life for how you know bad I used to be to think about that I'm not like old yet and I still got so much better at that. Every, that's, that was one of the issues I used to have with the, just the impulsive impulsiveness for everything if it didn't happen my way it didn't get it right away it didn't get this food that i wanted i like couldn't process how like it was just dude, why would i care that much about it but as yeah. a little kid you can't really process when that's happening so that's yeah, why i would not. get guilty later on when i started to realize what i was doing there's like the towards the end of boarding school i would get that way i'd be like very, feel very guilty because i was like I, but i really didn't know like what the hell was happening yeah. so there's people that are just like but i'm saying that concept works for everyday people. It just might not be as severe as, you know, a temper tantrum in the house. But meditation could still be useful even if you're not this 
completely high-strung person, you might not realize it could help you in certain situations, I guess is my point. Yeah, no, that's that's valid. And it's also good that at 22 years... Might have been years, a little wordy, but... That's fine. <laughs> I, I can I can be that way too, so I, I have sympathy for it. But it's good that at 22 years old, you're already thinking in these terms because... Well, you don't even have well, a, the influence. You don't even you don't even have a fully formed prefrontal cortex that you're not even 25. So I think that might be older now. I heard. That, have those stats changed? Yeah, I, I, sh- I shouldn't speak about things in science that I don't fully understand. But that well, that was true at least very recently. If it's still not true, or if it, if it isn't still true, well, whatever the case is, you're yeah. pretty young to be worrying. I think I'm young to care about this. I agree. You're especially young to care about this, and hopefully, people who are listening can you know take some some of this rambling and, and find it useful and change change exactly. things about themselves. Or they can, you know, use this information to say, well, actually, I do all of this stuff already and I'm pretty great as I am, so... Well, yeah, tell I'll... me what you think. I want to know what you guys <laughs> think about this episode. I love getting feedback from all of you guys, so I know that some of you will listen to this and actually care about what we have to say. Yeah, so I'm curious. I hope it was uh, helpful. I'm curious if anyone listening just thinks we're totally batshit crazy. I don't enough. think so. No, I, I, think, I think people... We might not be the number one source of information for people, obviously, because I promote this on my personal social media accounts. I'm not Sam Harris, but I think there is certainly logic in all of what, you know, for the most part, or definitely in all of what you've said. And just, just, it comes from a good place. So no one's trying to make anyone feel like shit if you're not doing these things. These are just, I guess, personal anecdotes and Matt also giving like actual science. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the key is just, you know, be honest with yourself and, do some introspection. I think any everyone can use to do a little more introspection. And if you, if you just too. have to be honest with your own situation. And if much of this doesn't apply to you, then it doesn't apply to you. But I think we've covered some pretty applicable things. All right. Well, that about wraps it up. We're definitely going to do another podcast together. I'm sure it'll just happen in the, in the future. Maybe when there's more sports to bet on or there's just another topic you feel like you want to talk about. I think people will like this dynamic here. And I hope the voices weren't too confusing. Yeah, right. I forgot about that. It's uh, maybe people won't know who was speaking for half of this, but yeah, I'm happy to do it again. I don't know. I'm sure I was talking about boarding school and then you would talk about meditation. So there's probably some variance in the way we were talking. I hope hope it was clear. Okay. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate it. See you next time on the Kevin Meisman podcast.